At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. I've shared in recent months with you that perhaps the biggest breakthrough that I've had in my 26 years of walking with the Lord has been not so much how much I've changed, but how much my perception of God has changed, my idea of God, my view of Him. As a young believer, I looked forward to the person that I would become 10, 20 years after my conversion. But now that the future is here, I'm not blown away by who I've become. I'm blown away by God. Another way of saying the same thing is, the story of John growing in Christ is less about John and more about Christ. And paradoxically, the bigger that Jesus' footprint becomes in my life, the more I like myself and the more my wife likes me, which is the real test. Now, Genesis 15 packs enough power to give you the kind of breakthrough I just described. It's a very important chapter in scripture because it's about Abraham, who is the father of every person of faith in history. He is the paradigm, the example of what it means to relate to God by faith, which is the only way, the only proper way to relate to God. But there's a more important reason why this chapter is so important. Oftentimes when I engage with people about faith, Christianity, they focus on their need to follow Jesus, to do what he says, to please him. What these same people often are not aware of is the fact that God pledged himself on oath to us. That God bound himself under oath to do us eternal good. But you tell me which one is a higher thought. For me to th think about how much, how well, how often I follow Jesus, or for me to think about God binding himself under oath to do me good forever. You see, when the penny drops and you grasp that the God of the universe has bound himself under oath to you. If you come to him through biblical faith, you will see life as if you'd entered a different dimension because indeed you will have. That's what it means for God to make a covenant with humankind. And it's what we're studying in this series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. We're looking at God's covenants. Just think about this. A covenant is a solemn oath to undertake an obligation. Think about that. Think about the sovereign of the universe who owns everything, but who does, doesn't owe anything to anyone. He doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us relationship. He doesn't even owe us the time of day. And yet, he entered into covenant with us by which he 
obligated himself to us and his name, his reputation, his character is at stake if he does not fulfill the terms of the covenant. That's what we've called this series. Now we've called this series gift wrapped because covenants are gifts that must be unwrapped, discovered, studied if we're going to enjoy the benefits of the covenant. Imagine, you know, this season people are shopping, giving gifts. Imagine if someone brings you an amazing present and it's wrapped beautifully and you receive it and you just hold it and you're like, oh, I love this present. Uh, this present is so amazing. I'm just going to keep it forever. But you don't unwrap it. People are like, well, do you know what's in it? And you're like, uh, no. The covenants must be unwrapped for us to understand the benefits and enjoy the benefits of the covenants. So we started last week with God's covenant with Noah. And we said that God made a covenant with Noah and his descendants, which includes us and every other living creature, to never again destroy life or the earth by a flood. Now, following the flood, humanity did not change. Evil persisted. What changed after the flood was God's disposition toward humanity. And so the evil in the human heart was the reason for God's judgment in the flood. But then after the flood, the evil in the human heart was the reason for God's mercy. And so because of God's covenant with Noah, we know that God will preserve the earth, that he will preserve the conditions that make human life possible. Today we get into God's covenant with Abraham. The Abraham narrative is perhaps one of the most comprehensive ones in all of Scripture, but it's concentrated in chapters 12 through 25 of Genesis. God calls Abraham, although, you know, his name is at first, it's Abram, but God changes it to Abraham in chapter 17 in connection with his purpose and promise to him. Well, he calls Abraham, who is the son of Terah, and it was a family of moon worshipers. And Abraham was childless. His wife was barren. And God calls him when he's migrating from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. Now go to Genesis 12 right there uh, and read with me because the promise, when God first comes to Abraham, the promise that he makes to him is as boundless as the stars in the sky. In Genesis 12, in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Could you imagine being cursed by God because you mess with his man? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are seven elements to this promise. Did you catch them all? Look with me again from verse 2. God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and in him who, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham begins in this journey of obedience, and as he's traveling along, with God, he encounters both challenges and greater definition to the initial promise that God continues to give to him. When we get to Genesis 15, Abraham is a tender spot. He has just defeated a number of neighboring kings because he had to go and rescue his nephew Lot who got himself in trouble. 
And following that victory, there was some bounty that the king of Sodom offered to Abraham and he rejected it because he had made a vow to God that he would not take anything from anyone else that would put him in their debt. So at this point, Abraham has angered some kings from the neighboring cities or nations and he has rejected wealth. And in that place, we read Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God comes to an anxious Abraham with a word of assurance. And that's our first point. Rest in God's reassurances. God says to Abram, fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Isn't it so timely? this word that God brings to him. And I know you need a timely word today. You need a timely word today. God says to him, fear not. He has just defeated these kings that are allied against him. He's rejected some wealth. And you know that he's feeling vulnerable and exposed and threatened. But God says, fear not. I am your shield. You see, what Abraham needed was security. He needed security. The threat of those kings allied with each other and against him was great. But God reminds him that his shield is impenetrable. It's a divine shield. The shield is God himself. He says, I am your shield. It reminds me of this soldier who is a follower of Christ. And he says to his mom, she's a part of our congregation. He says to her before he's deployed to war, he says, mom, I am bulletproof until God says I am not. There is great theology in that, in that statement. First, the this, this statement affirms that God is his shield. That nothing can touch him, that he is bulletproof. But the statement also affirms that we don't tell God which bullets to let or not let through. God determines this. God, of his own accord, is our shield. We don't make him our shield. He says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham had just despised wealth that would put him in the debt of other rulers. And therefore, perhaps compromise his loyalty to God. But you know that it hurt when your strength is calculated by how many men, how many flocks, how much gold you have, and you say no to men, flocks, and gold, it's going to impoverish you. But what's better, to have the world's gold without God or to have God without the world's gold? I know some of you would say, well, can we have both? Genesis 15.1 sums up the struggles of life in any age, in any culture. It's December 6th of a year that has filled so many of us with paralyzing fear. We feel afraid. But God says, fear not. We're putting our hope on a vaccine, but God says, I am your shield. And I'm not saying that we don't need a vaccine. I'm so grateful for the people who night and day have been working on this. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying that this will work, that it will be approved, that it will be distributed as it needs to go out. Yes, we need these things. So grateful for these things. I'm not saying that we don't need to be wise in the decisions we make in this troublesome time. But what I am saying is that we must identify what alternate shields we're clinging to 
and remember that when God is our shield, our reward shall be great. So that's the first point. Second, believe in God's promises. Abraham receives this word from God. And like anyone who truly walks with God, he engages God in the deepest struggle of his soul. Now, I want you to pause here for a second. What is, right now, what is the deepest struggle of your soul? Is it where you're going to go to college? Is it your dream job? Is it that you got fired? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it the fear of death? Not death, the fear of death. That one has gotten many of us this year. Abraham engages God in the deepest struggle of his soul. And as it turns out, it was not his enemies and it was not his lack of wealth. It was that he did not have an heir. He did not have a child. Look at verse 2. But Abraham said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. I've met people who struggle with lying, but they don't bring their lies and their reason for lying to God. I've met people who struggle with pornography, but they don't bring their pornography and the reason they've given themselves to these dead and defiling images to God. I've met people with major disappointments and massive confusion, and they may claim faith and come to church, but they leave the issue that's nagging at their soul out of their engagement with God. You see, this is why Abraham, in so many places, in a couple of places in Scripture, is called God's friend, because he's raw with God. He is real with God. He is honest with Him. Abraham reminds me of the widow in Luke's Gospel that will not leave the judge alone until he hears her case. He reminds me of the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus and will not take no for an answer until Jesus gives her an audience. Even after Jesus seems to have slighted her, she says, give me a crumb, man. Love that. And so Abraham bringing these raw and honest appeals to God, what does it do? Does it push God away? Not at all. It does the opposite. God comes closer and closer to Abraham and reveals more and more of his heart and purpose to him. So let that encourage you and empower you to struggle with God, to wrestle with him. Because God comes and says to Abraham, your reward shall be very great. And Abraham comes right back at him and says, how God, what are you going to give me? I don't still. It's been a while since you first came to me, no heir. And then he seems to be complaining. He says, you have not, you've given me no offspring, God. What's the difference between complaining to God and wrestling with him? Maybe motive. Maybe trust. But God, who is so kind and so patient, comes back to Abraham with a word and a sign. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
Sometimes God speaks to us with the word and a sign. I've shared with you before about a time when in 2015, four or five months before I came here, the last door closed in North Carolina. I was finishing the PhD and was trying to find a job. And there was a church that was talking to me. We wanted to stay in North Carolina because uh, we just didn't want to move the family yet one more time. And so there was a church talking to us. And, um, and so I had gone to just check it out. And as I was driving back home, I was crystal clear that, that, that we could not take that job. But I knew that Anna would be disappointed when I came home and told her, we're, we're moving. And so I'm driving back home. It was a Sunday morning. It was actually a beautiful day. Uh, that's not, it was not beautiful inside the car. You know, and, I've, uh, and I just had this sinking feeling as I'm driving back. It was almost, it's one of those Abraham moments where I'm needing a fear not word from the Lord. And so I'm driving and I came to this light. So I'm waiting there and I'm thinking and feeling all these things. And then a leaf, a leaf from a tree fell on my windshield. And it traveled down and across the windshield right in front of me in slow motion. And right away, the scripture came to my mind with the force of the Holy Spirit are not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. Isn't God so kind? Wasn't that so kind of God to not drop a sparrow on the windshield to bring that verse to mind? Because that splattering would have been messy and bloody and kind of Stephen Kingish. You know what I'm saying? All a leaf, that's all he needed. And as that fragile leaf was slowly falling to the ground right before my eyes, I knew that just as that door was being closed within the will of my father, so also he would open another. We had nothing to fear. And so here's Abraham who is so discouraged, just so wrapped up, uh, wrapped up in himself. He has no child, no heir. The promise was made the first time a long time ago. And so God lifts his face. He takes him outside. He lifts his face toward heaven and tells him, look at the heavens. Number the stars if you can. And then he says, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed him. He believed him. Verse 6 says, Abraham believed him and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Nothing Abraham has done at all. He's just there trying to count the stars, I guess. And God, God says, you're righteous. He goes from no heir, a barren wife, to offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. Simply because God said it and Abraham believed him. Amazing. But God's not done. Not, not even close. He has more. He has more and more and more because that's what friendship with God is all about. And we forget this, people. Friendship with God is eternal pleasures at his right hand. And so here we get into the covenant-making ceremony. And I need you to hang tight with me. 
because some of what we're about to read is gonna sound strange to us. Remember, we are about 4,000 years removed from this event. So look at verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, so here comes the promise. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So God talked to Abram about his heir and now he talks to him about his land, the land that God is going to give to him and his offspring. But he doesn't do it by a word. He doesn't do it by giving him a sign from heaven. He does it by God coming down from heaven. The covenant ceremony feels strange to us, but it was not strange for Abraham's culture. Abraham asked God, Lord, how will I know that you're gonna give me this land? And God says, bring me some animals. Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And so Abraham brings them, he cuts them in half, except the birds, sets them you know, against each other. And then it says that as the, sun was, as the sun was coming down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And the Lord begins to speak to him. Know for certain that I'm gonna bring your descendants into this land. But before that, for 400 years, they're gonna be mistreated and afflicted. But I'm going to bring judgment on that nation. And then they're going to go and inherit this land. The land where the Amorites live now, but not yet, because their sin was not full. You see, God's judgments are always righteous. The people of the land of Canaan who lived there will not get to keep that land. They will be dispossessed because of their evil, but God is waiting until their evil, their sin, their violence reaches completion, which is not for another 400 years from the time of Abraham. God does the same with Sodom and Gomorrah. God brings destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah, but not until he can't even find 10 righteous people. He does the same to elect Israel. When their sins are full, he exile, exiles them from the land. You see, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who will inherit the earth? The meek. Those who humbly take God at his word. And so after God makes this solemn promise to Abraham that his offspring will certainly inherit the land, look at what we see in verse 17. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So fire comes from God, representing God's awesome presence. At various times, God appeared by fire. He appeared by fire to Abraham here. He appeared by fire to Moses in the burning bush, to Israel in the pillar of fire, to Elijah later on in 1 Kings 18. And so fire comes down from God and the fire passes between the pieces, the pieces of the animals that are there. Now again, that, we're not familiar with this. What scholars call this is a self-maledictory oath. It's an oath where the person who's passing between the pieces is in effect saying, may it be done to me as it's been done to these animals that I'm passing between if I fail to keep this covenant. Now there's a text from Assyria in the eighth century BC that includes this line. Listen to this. This head is not the head of a lamb. It's the head of Matilu. If Matilu sins against this treaty, so may just as the head of this spring lamb is torn off, the head of Matilu be torn off and his sons. So the oath is saying in a very graphic way, right? They're, they're holding this head of a lamb. They're saying, this is not the head of a lamb that's been torn off. It's the head of Matilu who's making this treaty. And if he does not keep this treaty, may it be done to him as it's been done to this lamb and also to his sons. Jeremiah 34, there's a text where God is bringing judgment on Israel because this is after the time of Zedekiah. Uh, they had made a covenant with God that they would release uh, some slaves, uh, but then they changed their mind and then they made the people slaves again. And God, of course, is not happy. And so in verse 18 of Jeremiah 34, listen carefully to what it says because it seems to be alluding to the same kind of ritual. And the men, this is God speaking, Jeremiah 34, 18, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So this covenant ceremony includes these animals that have been cut in half and set against each other. And then those who pass between the pieces, the parties to the covenant are in effect saying that they are taking upon themselves the curses from the covenant if they do not bring the covenant to pass, if they break the terms of the covenant. Except, listen here, that in Genesis 15, God alone by fire passes by the pieces. Abraham is in a deep sleep. He's just sleeping. You see, this covenant is between God and Abraham, but God is the only one who stakes his life on the line. That says that if he does not fulfill the terms of this covenant, then may he die. You see, God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So anticipate God's provision of a forever home. Lastly, the covenant promise that stands over all the covenants that God makes with humankind is that God will be our God and we will be his people and dwell with him forever and ever.
Now, if the fulfillment of the covenant depended on Abraham or on any other covenant partner, Noah, Israel, David, then the covenant would never come to pass and we would never have God as our God and he would never have us as his people. But it's precisely because God made a covenant with Abraham and took it upon himself to die if he did not bring the covenant blessings to pass that we can have assurance of salvation. Because you see, all the covenant partners, including us, we are covenant breakers. But God took it upon himself through this oath that if he did not keep all the promises of the covenant and bring it to pass, then may he die. Well, God did die in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, taking upon himself the curses that were to come to covenant breakers so that in him and through faith in him, who is descended from Abraham, the blessings of God may flow to all the families of the earth. Because remember the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, those seven elements. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the covenant promise. You see, before the coming of Jesus Christ, Israel had not become a blessing to all the families of the earth. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, nation after nation after nation and person after person, including the young man we saw in the video, and each one of us has found that God is a saving God to those who come to him by faith and believe him, period. That's what we found this is why we continue to advance the gospel wherever we go, virus or no virus, because the promise that God made to Abraham that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed has come to fruition for anyone, anyone, anywhere in the world that believes God, that takes him at his word where God says, you are rebels, but I'm coming to make you my friends. You are sinners, but I am forgiving your sin by the blood of my son. You are fearful and anxious people, but fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And for whoever believes him, God says, you are righteous. Not because of anything they do, but because they take God at his word. And so church, Will this word that we're learning today change the way you relate to God from here on out? Do you mainly focus on your performance and what you do for God, how you follow him, how you please him, all the things that scripture says for us to do? And therefore, are you utterly aware of your own failure to do this? Do you live with shame from your past? Do you live with paralyzing fear in the present? Because you see, what will make all the difference in your world is for you to look away from yourself and to look to the heaven and number the stars if you can. And remember that God multiplied the offspring of childless Abraham as numerous as the stars in the sky, not because of Abraham, but because of God. Because God made a covenant with him by which he swore and bound himself on oath that he would bring all the promises to pass. A covenant by which God swore, by my death, I guarantee 
this covenant of an eternal land and eternal blessings for all the families of the earth. And so centuries later, in the city of David, unto us was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He died, taking upon himself all the curses that come to covenant breakers. But what no one saw coming is that by that same death, he enacted a new covenant by which he guarantees that we will remain faithful until the end, until we receive our inheritance, until we dwell with God as our God and he with us as his people. Amazing. And so is your trust fully in the blood of the covenant or is it in yourself or your circumstances? Is your blood fully in the Lord, in the blood of the covenant. As we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, reassure your heart by everything we've learned today. The reason we celebrate Christmas is that without a savior, we are covenant breakers. We are to perish like those animals. We'd be dead in our sins. So strengthen your heart by the grace of Jesus Christ, who took upon himself the curse so that the blessings of God may flow to all the families of the earth. Hear the Lord Jesus say to you, fear not. I am your shield. I shield you from the wrath of God. Your reward shall be very great. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.